0: the best product. I've been involved in the Patagonia field testing program for a little over 20 years right now. For silent sports done in nature. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that I fell in love with with climate. Cause no unnecessary harm. So organic cotton and recycled polyester to recycling the clothing to measuring our carbon footprint. Inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. To so give some love back to this river that doesn't have any. It's not getting any love. See what drives us at Patagonia.com. So a lot of you may know climber Kelly Cordes from his other pieces on the diaries. He's an incredible alpine climber with some bar-raising alpine ascents on massive peaks like Torre. But one thing I didn't know about him was that before he fell in love with climbing, all the way back in high school and in college, he was a boxer. And the first question I had for him was, how the hell do you get involved in the sport? Like boxing, my dad is kind of responsible for it.
1: He was a bull rider. If you're if you're a bull rider, I mean, what the hell can you say when, <laughs> to your son when he wants to do something? And uh, it, he really kind of got me interested in it. We we always used to watch the fights when we were kids. You know, watching Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and all those guys. My big dream I wanted to be a football player, but in tenth grade I was four foot ten and weighed 85 pounds and so the football thing wasn't happening so and i wrestled when i was younger but then i broke my back and had to quit and uh as i kind of got older and uh all that i just started i I wanted to do something i I was into something and you know football wasn't going to work out the nfl wasn't going to come calling at 85 pounds and so
0: i just picked up boxing and my parents were super supportive of it so so amateur boxing, like collegiate bo- boxing, um, it's, it's what you would see in the Olympics, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Amateur boxing is what we see in
1: the Olympics. And yeah, so if you've ever watched that, it's all about, you know, racking up points and the bouts are like short sprints instead of long, drawn-out wars where, you know, the guys get their brains beat in for 12 rounds or whatever, and they're... There are a whole bunch of rules in amateur boxing that are set up really to protect the boxer. And as I said, it's difficult to get seriously hurt in amateur boxing, although it's certainly possible. You think of, you know, Rocky movies or something. And whereas Rocky was an awesome movie, you know, the boxing scenes are every bit as unrealistic as the
0: climbing scenes in Cliffhanger. And it just doesn't work that way, you know. Did you ever think about trying to to go pro after after college? You're not going to college to to get your brains beat in, you know. I mean, you,
1: you just don't go to college <laughs> and then plan to like throw away all that money spent on a college <laughs> education by getting beat up. Like, and I remember one time being at this boxing card. Me and me and a buddy, a fellow boxer, were, were watching these fights. We neither of us were competing, I don't think, that night. And um, you know, and this this guy, like this boxer, just comes up and starts talking to. Me. He's a big, doofy white guy, like a pro boxer, you mean? Yeah, yeah. He he let us know that he was a pro boxer, and then he starts talking to us and giving us all this unsolicited advice about you know how you know we got you know quit wasting our time with the amateurs, man. You know you 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 gotta get. Paid to fight, man. Like, like, pay. You know, I introduced you to my manager, man. We're like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, great. You know, and uh, and, and he's just going on and just rambling. He's like, yeah, you know, like, pr- you know, pr- pros is is the way to go, and because it, 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 and he just like pauses for a long time, and me and my buddy look at each other, and then the guy like scratches his head and goes, lost my train of thought. <laughs> i <laughs> are just like, okay, you know, case study right there as to why I think I'll, you know, try, try to do as well as I can with college boxing and then move on.
0: There's sometimes a tendency to talk about climbing with being one with the mountains and there's sort of yeah. this like, sort of like, it's a little bit like Zen. All oh, that I'm, hippie shit. The hip. Okay, there you go. You said it, <laughs> not me. The no, it's true.
1: I do it too. I mean, I love that stuff. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's wonderful. But, but, you know, you know. So there are obvious differences there between uh, climbing and boxing. But there, there are some similarities too. There's this intimidation factor, especially with alpine climbing. Like, it, I've heard the ring walk. In boxing, when when you're walking out to the ring, I've heard it described as the loneliest moment in sports, and I w- I couldn't dispute that. But there's another time that's pretty lonely, even though you've got a partner tied into the, the rope, and that's like that pre-dawn approach to a big alpine route, and you're all these things are going through your head. You're thinking, I could die here. I don't know what lays, uh, lies ahead. You know that this is serious stuff. In, a, in that regard, some of those fears and the self-doubt and the internal grappling and am I good enough, I don't know, but they're very similar to what you, what you encounter before a, a boxing match. I mean, yeah, you've trained, you're ready, everything, but still it's just natural to have fear. I mean, my, my boxing coach used to say that if you're not scared going into the ring, then something's wrong and I don't want you fighting maybe it's good to to be a little little bit fearful. It's almost like having a little bit of respect for what you're dealing with. And, uh, you know, you probably don't want to go in there just thinking it's no big deal because it kind of is a big deal.
0: Just like an opponent in the ring, big climbs demand respect. We hear about them long before we arrive at the base. They capture our imaginations, and for better or for worse... They scare us. They ask us a simple question: Are you the climber, the boxer, you imagined yourself to be? Today, Kelly Cortis presents the Pugilist, a story about the biggest fight of his life in a massive, rotting mountain face. This is the place where nightmare and wonderful, lifelong dreams converge. I'm Fitzgahl, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.
1: 1989. My head bounced on the canvas. Violent, dispassionate, limp. Eyes straight to the ceiling. I was out before I hit the floor. My opponent, my victor, a strong and wiry kid named Dave Mockamer from Lockhaven University, looked scared, almost shocked by the violence he'd just delivered. He glanced down at me, then toward his corner, his normally stern face now frightened, almost like a child wanting reassurance, and both of his coaches rushed through the ropes as did my coach, the ring doctor, and the referee, toward my prone body, some kneeling beside me, others standing and talking anxiously. My mother ran to ringside, frantic and flailing, as my friends awkwardly tried to both calm her down and keep her away. Someplace in the crowd sat my girlfriend, face in her hands, unable to look. I know this because I saw it on video afterwards. The finals of the Northeast Regional Collegiate Boxing Championships and the only thing moving on me was my head, trying to get up to keep fighting. Three days later, my pupils were still two different sizes, and they took me in for CAT scans. I was banned from boxing, even sparring, for 30 days to be sure of no neurological damage. I had been the favorite. I was 19 years old, a student at Penn State, quick, skilled, and national runner-up the year before. I'd choked in the finals and lost to a guy I'd already beaten. Afterward, I rededicated myself, got better, trained harder, fought twice in the Soviet Union, and kept on improving into the next season. That day in 1989, I was on the front page of the college newspaper. Boxing was everything to me then, the way climbing is for me now. I wanted to be a national champion, even if it didn't matter on the big scale any more than how little it matters whether something you want to climb is a world-class objective or some obscure choss pile in the middle of nowhere Montana. That year I was on a roll. The place was packed and tons of friends had come to watch and cheer me on. I'd been dominant all season and was expected to walk through Mockmer and continue to nationals. I was good, confident, and maybe a little cocky. He had average skills and speed, but huge power. In the first round, I thoroughly outclassed him, winning by two and three point margins on the scorecards. Midway through the second, I stepped in with my left hand too low, just as he threw a compact, powerful right that caught me flush and reversed my forward momentum. I spiraled and staggered, falling to the canvas for the first time in my career the crowd momentarily went silent everyone shocked instinctively i rose and started bouncing showing the referee that i was all right even though i wasn't as he counted to the mandatory eight the ref a guy named kevin looked at me hard worried i knew he was on the verge of stopping the fight that's his duty with the amateurs kevin had ref several of my fights though and he knew that i had heart i'm all right kevin i'm all right i lied The lights spun overhead, leaving trailers behind them, as did Kevin's eyes, looking intensely into mine. Distant sounds from the crowd echoed in my ears. He finished counting the eight, then cautiously motioned for us to continue boxing. That's the last thing I remember. Next thing I knew, I was outside the ring, crying in my mother's arms. A week later, I received a card from a boxing fan from Lockhaven, the same town where Mockmer went to school. Inside the card was a stick figure drawing of me sprawled out on the canvas and Mockmer, hands raised, standing above me. A bunch of people had written various individual taunts on the page with, hey buddy, you suck, in big letters above. I think they misspelled buddy. I pinned it to my wall so that I would have to see it every day. For the next year, I had a simple two-part focus, beat Mockmer and go on to win nationals. Boxing was a young man's sport. I'd leave it after college. After so long cutting weight, I vowed to be fat and lazy, but that didn't work out so well. I was the first woman finisher at the Seattle Marathon in 1992. I'd grown my hair long, and with a girl's name, the announcer gave me too much credit as I crossed the finish line. I did a half Ironman. Old ladies in water wings passed me on the swim. Swimming was never my forte. I bicycled across the country, failing to take into account the prevailing west-to-east winds. And then, while in grad school at Missoula, A friend took me climbing. That was it. Done. Any semblance of a respectable lifestyle, gone. So much for wising up. In Missoula, I fell in with a great crew of dirtbag climbers, and we threw ourselves at everything with reckless abandon, trying, usually failing, learning along the way, and, before we knew it and against all odds, developing some level of competence. We'd epic on scrappy ice and mixed climbs around Missoula and drive our barely operable beaters up to Glacier National Park over and over upon a moment's notice if we thought things might be good. It's a nice mecca if you can ever hit it right, a big if with its epic approaches, wildly variable conditions, and nightmarish avalanche danger. I avoided the park in summer, as did almost all climbers, but everybody also talked of this one massive rock face home to some of the worst rock anywhere, the north face of Mount sai Friends spoke of it in hushed tones, like whispering of some dark fairy tale lurking in our minds. 3,500 vertical feet from base to summit, 4,400 feet above Cracker Lake. As I listened to the tales and rumors, sai became bigger than my comprehension. The stories worked their way into my head, scaring me from even afar. A rarity, because I'm the world's best climber in my daydreams. I moved to Colorado, and Mount Saeed became easy to ignore. No need. Not like I actually wanted to set foot on that pile anyway. In 1990, Dave Mockmer and I both tore through our opponents and, as we did, the tension between us built. I'd see him at boxing cards and we'd smile and shake hands like good sportsmen. He was a nice guy as I got to know him. But still, he intimidated me. He sent me to the hospital. He knew it and I knew it. And we both knew we'd meet again. He'd shake my hand firmly enough to show strength and hold intense eye contact for an extra moment. And in that moment, he was silently reminding me that he'd hurt me before, and he was going to hurt me again. Nothing personal. I worked hard before practice, after practice, going hard and sparring, going one more round, first to arrive, last to leave. I trained over the holidays when rec hall was empty, aside from a loner shooting hoops, maybe a random person on the track, and me, working the bag. Through training, I'd enter a different world, one of self-induced love and pain that humbled me and stripped bare any fear or pretense or machismo of pretending I wanted it. Over time, you mold yourself and develop into something that you weren't before. There's a great quote from Custom Mike Tyson's original trainer. He said, The hero and the coward both feel the same thing, but the hero uses his fear, Projects it onto his opponent while the coward runs. Man, I used to be scared. I wondered if other people got just as scared because early in my career, at fight time, I'd be hoping my opponent wouldn't show so that I wouldn't have to fight. Even though every minute of every day I thought about boxing, daydreamed about it, shadow boxed in the hallways, trained and trained and trained, but then the match would come and I'd be terrified, terrified until the bell rang and then I wasn't scared anymore. I was just doing what I trained to do, and afterward I'd be a bigger person for confronting my fear and working with it. After a while, I'd come to appreciate the fear, and though I'd still be scared, I'd handle it better. I distinctly remember times in the ring, bouncing around to stay warm, waiting for my opponent and worrying that he wouldn't show up because I wanted to box. Even though I was nervous, sometimes scared, usually scared, Even if I wanted to run or go to a different weight class, I couldn't. I had to face Mockmer again. It's one thing to say you want something, even convince yourself of it. In talk and in the gym, fantasies happen from a safe distance. Summer of 2008, I found myself in Glacier National Park again, mostly hiking with my girlfriend, enjoying a real vacation for once. None of this scary choss pile bullshit needed. My friend Justin Woods, who lives in nearby Whitefish, planned to meet us and hang, and he and I had to do a little climbing. Ignoring Sae proved easy though. Justin was one of three parties to have climbed the face. He'd confirmed all the rumors of that terrifying pile and endured a night in hell stuck on the face. Everyone who'd tried had suffered at least one horrible night out, shivering on the verge of hypothermia. No thanks. I'd ignore it. Or at least pretend to. I remembered an email, though, with Justin a while back, in which he wrote, Interesting climb. Can't say I'd recommend doing it. But on the other hand, I've been thinking of going back. Guess when the memory fades, you can talk yourself into just about anything. You know... Even if you've climbed all over the world and convinced yourself there's no point in returning to the things that once scared you, now that you're so much better than you were and all. Maybe this little voice taunts you. Keep pretending you poser? Yeah, write articles, get your picture taken, kiss ass to sponsors. It's all good, brah. Until you're alone with your thoughts and standing below something that scared you for 15 years. Then we'll see what you're made of, big guy. The week before the fight, you start getting flashes of butterflies, fear, ambition, anxiety, eagerness, motivation. The night before, sleep comes hard. The day of the fight, things get intense. The world focuses and narrows. My cheeks would get this weird nervous twinge, a little like sucking on a lemon, making me want to suck them inward and rapidly bite them between my upper and lower molars, and I'd shake my arms and bounce around in circles. Then I'd take a deep breath, exhale slowly, narrow my focus. Before the fights, each team's boxers line up in the ring opposite their opponents. The announcer calls our names and Mockmer and I walk out, shake hands, and he stares at me with a confident grin and intense eyes. I stay in my own world. The card begins. We're the main event, so we're boxing last. I wait, cheer my teammates, stay warm, wait, butterflies flying as my time approaches. The crowd grows, tension builds, I start warming up, my cheeks are doing that weird nervous thing, and finally the officials tell me it's time, and I walk to the ring. No matter how many teammates or coaches are around, no matter how I attempt to convince myself that I'm not alone, once my coach puts his knee on the lower ropes and lifts the upper ropes, I am alone. I dip through the ropes into the ring and start bouncing around. Then the referee calls, seconds out, and my corner men, your seconds, leave the ring. The referee brings Dave and I to the center to touch gloves. I'm scared. I'm scared, but I'm hungry. And I return to my corner. The crowd roars. It's at home again. In the same ring he knocked me out one year before. The bell rings. Mockomer and I move toward each other. Stalking. (music) Justin and I both rise and turn on our headlamps. Forecast calls for 50% today. We don't say much about it beyond joking about how hypothermic we're going to be when the storm nails us. We brew up, rack up, put our gear up the bear pole by the lake, and start walking toward the face. Water trickles around, bubbling sounds in the darkness. I hear my breathing, my heart thumping inside my eardrums. Occasional rockfall bellows, bangs, chimes through the cirque. I've got my head down and I'm blocking things out of my brain because I'm scared. I'm scared of this face. I've been scared of it for 15 years. I've built it into a monster, something I'll never be good enough to do. And here we are, trying to do it. I used to approach these things hoping for reason to bail. But over the years, I've gotten better at channeling that fear. Or maybe just blocking it out. Because I don't think that anymore. I try to think nothing, nothing at all. No mind. Just go, because when I think too much, the doubts creep in, and the reality is that I'm still scared. I'm just trying to deal with it. We need our monsters and our windmills. Imagine a life without them. Is that the life lived on the couch? The one where dreams get lived only in the dusty recesses of the imagination? No, no, I don't want that. sun crests to the east, casting orange and red flames onto the horizon, so vibrant it seems I could touch it. I look up. It's good to approach things in the dark, because you can't see how terrifying a 3,500-foot face of crumbling talus can be until you're right beneath it, and then it's too foreshortened. But you still see it in your mind, and it's something where you know you could die, but people die every day without living. And sometimes I wish I could be happy with something more ordinary, but I can't. And I know that people better and braver than me have tried and tried and failed here. But here we are. We're trying to do it pretty much naked. Lesson we'd bring to the crag because we think we can go fast, but I'm not so sure now. But we're about to try, and I'm scared. So I fake it, crack a joke, and get into task mode. Pull out the rack, flake the ropes, throw in an anchor piece, and tie in. You're on, Justin! (laughs) Mockomer and I flick jabs at each other, and I start moving side to side, trying to use my speed and skills. I quickly pile up points. He scores occasionally, but I see the big ones coming and easily slip his bombs, countering effectively but cautiously, scoring points. I keep the fight in the center of the ring, careful to stay off the ropes with him, but I'm not as active as I should be. Nothing big happens in round one. I outpoint him, no danger. I walk back to my corner, sit on my stool, drink some water, and my coaches urge me, Come on now, pick it up, he's not even touching you. You're ready, now pour it on. They're right. I've trained for this. I am ready. I've pinned that stick figure card to my wall and seen it every day. I've poured everything into this, dreamed of it, wanted it, really wanted it, to make it happen. But he has power. He hurt you. No, don't think of that. Just box, box, box like you know how. Everything else will take care of itself. Round two, more of the same. He's landing. Nothing. My defense is sharp. I'm blocking, slipping, countering, landing effectively with my jab, but not yet pouring it on. Starting to increase the pace, we exchange punches, both landing, but I finish the combination with the cleaner blows, bam, 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 before slipping to the side and making him miss. I'm making him look bad, I'm sharp, I'm confident. And this is round two, where you got knocked out last year, but it's not last year, this is my year. We step in again and mix it up, same result. I'm gaining momentum now, picking it up, when suddenly one of his bombs clips me behind the ear and my knees wobble and my world spins. No shit, no, not again. runs out as I keep scanning the sky for signs of the day to come. I don't know why I have this anxiety, but I do. I've been training. I train hard. I'm fit. I've been climbing better than ever, and I'm strong. My head is strong, too. I know I can do this, but still I'm scared. I don't even know why, like if it's the rock fall or spending the night out shivering, or if it's dying, or maybe it's everything, but I feel it in my stomach, and my cheeks do that puckering thing, and I bite them quickly from the inside, then the rope comes tight, and I leave the ground. And suddenly, I'm not scared anymore. Find the good rock, fish out good pro, move fast through the dangerous places. Climb, shack boy, climb. Justin takes over. I take over. He takes over. Then me again. We're gaining ground. One thousand feet. Two thousand feet. Getting higher. And I can't believe it. We're moving fast. Seeing peaks crest the horizon now, sky going gray, then getting light again as the clouds roll in and out, and I worry about getting stuck, but it's going well, surprisingly well, when suddenly we hit a dead end. The wall rears up, and I don't see anywhere to go. The sky darkens. We're high enough that I know if the clouds come in and a storm hits, we're in for one hell of an epic. A flash of fear hits me, but I don't want to go down. We're still hungry. Mockmer sees I'm stunned as I clinch and tie him up, trying to buy a few seconds to clear my head. Shit, no, shit, same thing, round two again, not a repeat, not a repeat. The referee breaks us, and I don't know if it's obvious or not, but Mockmer knows he dazed me and he comes in hard throwing bombs, but this time I've recovered already and I'm not dazed anymore and I slip and block every one and counter cleanly pop, pop, pop as the fans cheer. I'm picking them apart. The bell rings and we go to our corners and then come out and touch gloves at the start of the third and final round. I stick him with fast jabs and follow with combinations. I pour it on, taking over in the third, pinning him against the ropes and ripping hooks and uppercuts to his body and head. He's trying to defend himself, but I overwhelm him, pouring on every ounce of desire for my training and every bit of deep-rooted frustration and fear and inadequacy at my failure the year before. Near the end of the round, back in the center of the ring, he throws a big, desperate right hand that has every intention of ending the fight. Only I slip underneath and counter with a left-hook straight-right combo that sends him reeling into the ropes, and the referee steps in to issue him a standing eight count. The final bell rings and we embrace, then he walks dejectedly to his corner as I leap atop the ropes into mine, pumping my fists into the sky. Up, down, around, climb left, climb back right. And I stop thinking about it and just lead through a band of good rock. Truly good rock. But the climbing above looks hard. Nobody's been here. I don't know if it'll go, but of course it'll go. And 2,500 feet drops away below with my last piece and RP 20 feet down. Breathe. Bring it in. Focus. Soon I traverse rightward on black rock. So solid but without cracks. Just some rubble on the face holds that I brush off into space And the face and earth drop away forever below my feet. The sky clouding up above. 40-foot runouts now on 5'10". A sea of dark rock peaks as far as I can see in the distance. But I'm here. I'm alive. I'm alive. And this monster I've feared for so long just might go. But don't think that. Bring it back in and focus. Be here. You're not there yet. Don't get complacent. Okay, stop this thinking bullshit and just climb. Off belay! Justin heads up a loose corner, throws blocks over his shoulder, and they tumble into the abyss. Echoes boom from the depths, and here he places Pro like a master, keeping the rope away from anything that would fall on me, and he reaches a ledge. I can't believe he's climbing this thing again. I take off around the ledge... We've got to be getting close. It's unfolding beneath us, and around the corner, I practically run toward a ramp, this dead obvious ramp running into the sky, and it's the last unknown, but it is no unknown. I know I can climb it, and it's a cruise. It's 5'7", and the best rock of the route, huge holds everywhere, and a perfect crack running the whole way, and I'm feeling lighter and lighter, and I'm practically running bubbling, floating, giggling, but stop, stop, place pro, you idiot, you're 100 feet out, anyone can fall, don't be stupid, and so I stop and place pro, place two while you're there, so I place two pieces, then keep going. I look down and see Justin simling below and I gaze out and see the plains to the east and a sea of peaks up to Canada to the north and the shimmering turquoise of Cracker Lake nearly 4,000 feet below and I let out a huge shout. I can't help it. It just happens. I'm hooting and yelling and running up the final 40 feet to the ridge and I look down and see Justin wave and he hoots and yells and we're both yelling and nobody can hear us and then we're there. We're done. 11 hours after tying in, we unrope and tie Excitedly, like little schoolgirls, and we scramble to the summit. Atop Sa'i, Justin and I take a minute to look around. We can't see another sign of anyone, anywhere. I'm definitely not climbing that thing again, Justin blurts out. We've become the fourth party in 30 years to climb the north face and we soak in the solitary views and talk about how to descend. Our original plan doesn't look so good now, but no big deal, I think. We're both wearing huge grins. Our glow carries us toward a ridge that should lead to where we can scree-surf back to our bivvy at the lake, and my legs wobble, but somehow I'm weightless. Justin scrambles ahead and his silhouette frames my view against a skyline of peaks dropping in the distance and Cracker Lake shimmering 4,000 feet down over the edge to his left. <laughs> I chuckle to myself, only 30 minutes after 15 years of intimidation, and already Sae doesn't seem so bad. I suppose it's like that stick figure drawing that served its purpose, tacked to my wall for a year leading up to my rematch with Mockmer. I don't even know what I did with it. I probably kept it. It's probably stuffed away in a box somewhere. A piece of my life, buried alongside faded photos. Not that I don't still respect what it meant, because I do. Just as I respect the terrifying tales of vertical talus pieced together with dust, stories of hypothermic bivvies on a death face and all those legends and myths that both hold us back and drive us forward. Along the ridge, the upper face comes into view, still scary and dark and strangely beautiful now. Despite what Justin said about not climbing it again, he probably would. And hell, I don't know, maybe I would too. Soon we slip and slide down the scree, staying light, moving, focusing on our feet, and on the beer cooler, waiting at Justin's truck.
0: Kelly Cordes lives, climbs, and writes in Estes Park, Colorado. You can check out more of his writing and margarita recipes at kellycordes.com. Music today by Mux Mule, Locks, Geographer, and Magic Bullets. You can find more information and download the cuts at our site, dirtbagdiaries.com. And while you're there, don't hesitate to drop us a line either: our dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. Support for the show comes from Patagonia. They've got a whole new slew of stories up on the tin shed. I might even be lurking around there. Maybe. You'll just have to go see. Patagonia.com Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing and Kuat Racks, who graciously donated a bike rack to Trail maintenance Fundraiser here in Seattle. It was a huge hit. Awesome. Check them out online at kuatracks.com Whew. All that talk about slaying dragons and stepping up the fears has got me fired up. I'm out. I'm headed to the valley to get to work on my own bucket list. That was Kelly Cordes on Fitzgerald, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.